Hey, this is Tyler Johnson, pastor of Mission Church located in Walnut Creek, California. I want to say thank you for tuning in. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you live the life God called you to live. Enjoy. Okay, okay. Are you ready for the message? All right, I'm going to pray. God, we love you. Oh, we love you, Jesus. God, I pray right now that your words would, oh, that your words would be evident that they would be alive and active like your word says. God, I pray that my words would fall to the floor and that your words would soar. Oh, God, I pray right now that uh, this Sunday, if there's somebody in the house that's been a Christian for 30 years, God, I pray there would be a fresh awakening in the name of Jesus. God, they've just been kind of stagnant, no longer stagnant. God, I pray for an awakening today for the the believer that's been following you for years. And God, I pray for the one checking you out right now that's kind of freaked out. Ooh, I like it. God, I pray that today is their day. God, I pray they come to know you today, God. God, we love you. Speak to us through your word. And everybody said? Starting a new series uh, titled, A Church That Changed the World. Now, if you have been attending, we are just pausing, this is our God. We're going through the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, every single book. We're going book at a a time. The next book we're doing is Job, okay? Um, It is a very sad book. It's a book of sorrow. Uh, We're going to do that in September. So mark your calendars for a really sad Sunday. Sound good, okay? (laughs) But until then, I've had this series on my heart for a long time, and it's just the book of Acts. And it's studying the book of Acts and this church that literally changed the world. A small group in a nation of millions that literally ruled the whole known world, got flipped upside down and was changed forever, became a Christian nation. It's amazing when you want revival. Here's what I found. Thanks, Siri. <laughs> this is just, I'm rusty. That's usually I put on silence. You got, you got to sh- There we go. Okay, on until I leave. How's that? Okay, sweet. I'm so sorry. I literally forgot my laptop before I preached today. Okay. I had an asthma attack before I preached today. It's been gone for a month. I'm fine. My asthma better. Simba court, shout out. Um, but if you wanted to revive a great play, one of the greatest plays ever, you would go back to the genius and the heart of that play to revive the play. Can we agree with that? And revival is really revisiting the old. It's revisiting the things that, that birthed a transformation that the world has never seen. And the church needs to look at the book of Acts and say, man, what are we missing in our antidote? What are we missing in our recipe, if you will? I love studying revivals. One of my favorite revivals to study uh, is the Great Awakening in the early 1800s uh, in Great Britain. It's amazing. In the early 1800s in Europe and Great Britain, it was a powder keg ready to set off of just social unrest. Now, if you know anything about the 1800s, it's famous for the French Revolution, And so the French Revolution was happening in France. It was bloody. There was murder. The people that uh, turned over um, France, the ones who started ruling, were just as ruthless, if not more ruthless. The the revolution really didn't turn out the way they thought it was. And now, of course, now we're where we are today. But across the pond in Great Britain, there was not a um, revolution. There was a revival. And it's called the Great Awakening. Historians literally point to the Great Awakening of why, why England's um, social gaps changed. Um, the, the Great Britain revival, it's amazing. Nobody for sure knows how many people got saved, but their guesstimation is one in five uh, people in Great Britain got saved. One in five. And in the early 1800s, because of this salvation, the rich people got a new identity and a new purpose on how they were supposed to live. They treated the people that worked for them not to oppress them and exploit them, but they started paying them more because they got to know who God is. Treat your neighbor as yourself. And the poor people came to know God, and because they came to know God, they got a new identity and didn't see themselves as victims anymore, but people that could actually be agents to change the world. And literally, Great Britain was changed. Not only that in the early 1800s, slavery was abolished because of the Great Awakening. It was headed up by one of the converts, a guy named William Wilberforce. It's an amazing thing seeing Great Britain revived and things happening in a whole nation. 
I tell you that because it can happen in the Bay Area. Now, that's a good revival, but the one that is the greatest one ever is in the book of Acts. The book of Acts, literally, Rome, the Greco-Roman culture, the most powerful, millions, ruled the whole known earth, was polytheistic, never believed their worldview. They would never believe in a resurrection. That was not the worldview. Sometimes, if I could just be honest, do you ever feel like um, you look back at like, uh, the biblical times and you almost have a sophisticated snobbery towards them? Well, of course, they believed because they were just ancient people and they weren't smart. No, don't get it twisted. Rome was cosmopolitan, and they were maybe even more arrogant than you were because they ruled the whole world, not just the U.S. They were so impressive. So impressive so that they thought they didn't need anything else except their own strength. They didn't like weakness. They were literally creating uh, a strong human is what their goal was. I say that because if somebody from Rome came to our uh, time today, they might actually have sophisticated snobbery towards us. Could you imagine if they came back here instead and saw us? What are you doing? My phone's making me look like a puppy. You know, like, <laughs> what happened to mankind? You know? I'm look at this. I'm smiling, but it makes me look like I'm frowning. Hi. You know, like, a, what? They saw us doing our TikTok videos. They'd be like, this is what happened to mankind? And we're like, we're way smarter than you. Look at this puppy, you know? See this funny meme today? Like, just maybe, just maybe, they would judge us instead of us judging them. Just, just, just be ready for that, Okay. If they turned the news on coming back from Rome and they saw what was going on in the news and the world today and they see that we could literally, the world could be ended by a nuclear weapon and all this technology and everything we have, they say, you guys have came no further than us. You have all of this and there's still just as much hatred when the, the, the early church was birthed. What happened? So don't look back at this book as an ancient book. Don't look back at these people as ancient, ignorant, dumb people. Realize that these people had arrogance. They had their own worldviews. Worldviews are interesting. It's whatever the big group decides is right. The worldview at one time was the world was flat. That was the worldview. And then, of course, that stopped. And now the worldview is that, you know, except you're Kyrie Irving, is that it actually uh, goes around the sun, okay? <laughs> Shout out to Kyrie Irving, NBA fans. Okay, you get it. Um, the worldview is, right now in our culture, is you can have a lot of gods. But the worldview to have one god? Oof. So we're actually really similar with uh, Roman times. And as we go through this, I just want to read you, and we're going to go to Acts 1. Today's an introduction to the series, so there's going to be a little more teaching um, uh, than preaching today, because I feel like you need to know the context of what's going on if we're actually going to be able to uh, unpack this series. So if you your Bibles, turn to Acts 1. Acts 1. Here we go. This is uh, written by Dr. Luke. Uh, he's a Gentile. He wrote the uh, Gospel of Luke. And he also wrote the book of Acts. Why is it called the book of Acts? Because they were Christians that took action. It's the Acts of the Apostle. The American church can sometimes be called the book of attending instead of the book of Acts. Not Mission Church. You're a special church, Mission Church. I really believe that. When I was away on sabbatical, I meet a lot of senior pastors. And you'd be shocked at how many senior pastors aren't proud of their church and don't like their church. It's like weird. Like, that's your church. Like, if anybody's going to be proud of it, you should be proud of it. Anybody who loves it and is like, really believes great things, you should think great things of it. I want you to know something. I think God is birthing something special here. I think he is birthing a church that would change the world. He's birthing Christians. Because here's the reality. What kind of church is it that's going to change the world? Let's ask a question a little bit more uh, center. What kind of family is it that's going to change the world? Let's get a little more narrow quick. What kind of Christian is it that will change the world? And as we go through this and read uh, Acts 1 and we go through Acts, I think we're going to find out what kind of Christian that is. And you're going to find out that actually you're that type of Christian or that you desire to be that type of Christian. 
and we're going to start seeing things happen in the Bay Area. Does that sound good? All right. Acts 1. In my first book, I told you, Theophilus, first book is uh, the book of Luke, everything Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions to the Holy Spirit. During the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time. Uh, the book of Corinthians says that even 500 people were there one time after Jesus uh, was resurrected. And he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. He talked to them about the kingdom of God. Once uh, when he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised, as I told you before. John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Come on now. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? Stop. Everybody wants the kingdom of something to happen in this world. The number one thing Jesus preached was the kingdom of God. And so each nation that is Christian, sometimes we get it twisted and we have our own idea of what the kingdom of God looks like. We're going to find out what, really what the kingdom of God is. Does that sound good? And so they said, is it time for the kingdom of God? And here's what uh, Jesus says. He replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. Telling people about me everywhere. Everybody say everywhere. Everywhere, Starbucks, Sweet Greens, Bounty Hunter. Come on now. You in Napa at a nice little winery, maybe Hall Winery, maybe there. You telling people about Jesus everywhere, even Hall Winery. Anybody like uh, a wine tasting in Napa? That is a mission field everywhere. Okay, here we go. Okay. Um, after saying this, you, you, I'm, I'm serious. Okay. Uh, after this, he was taken up to the cloud while they were watching, and they could no longer see him. And they strained to see him rising into heaven. Two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. Stop. What is happening right here in Acts 1? This is the baton passing. In Luke 1, it's the story, it's the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And in Acts 1, this is the baton passing. Jesus saying, hey, you are now, I'm entrusting you to the mission that I came and died and conquered. You are now going to go change the world through the gospel message that there is a God that literally intercedes that all can be saved. None will perish if they believe in the name of Jesus. Now, let's just talk about that in modern times. Let's, let's, because when you say, well, the baton's passed, what's that mean? The book of Luke, so uh, till the second century, uh, the gospel of Luke and the book of Acts was one book. It was volume one, volume two. Basically, it was like, uh, if we could use modern times what it was until the second century, we split it up to two books. It would be like, the first one was the original movie. Like, the original movie would be like uh, Jurassic Park. Anybody like Jurassic Park? Phenom not a lot of Jurassic Park fans. Okay. <laughs> My bad. Um, but it's, isn't it fascinating? It's really hard to find a sequel as good as the original. Can we agree with that? My favorite movie of all time is Godfather. Oh, I love Godfather. I'm married an Italian, okay? She, even when she gets angry, she starts talking Godfather. I asked you to take out the trash. I'm like, whoa, whoa. I don't feel respected right now. I mean, like, so, so we love Godfather. We watched it on our sabbatical. Once a year, we watch it, okay? I love Godfather. I love the movie Godfather. And one of the few instances where the sequel is as good as the original is Godfather 2. Oh, it's so good. Who loves the Godfathers? Anybody? It's, they're phenomenal. Now, I turned 40, and so one of the things that I did when I was 40 is I wrote down my top five favorite movies of all time. Because <laughs> very important stuff. I read my Bible. I prayed. But I also did some work with the movie industry, okay? Um, Rachel, I love movies. Because it's weird. As you get older, um, your favorite movies change. Like when I was 18, my top five was A Knight's Tale. 
okay? Notebook, okay? Um, don't judge me. Spider-Man, so good. Um, I remember seeing Night's Tale and calling people afterwards, you have to go see it. It's the greatest movie ever made. I lost all movie credibility with all my friends for the rest of my life. To this day, who, people who are my friends that I recommended in our teens, they go, bro, you recommended Night's Tale. It's the greatest movie ever. I don't trust you still. I'm like, that's 30 years ago almost. Leave me, you know, 20 some years ago. So here's my top five, okay? I'm just going to read it to you real quick. My top five is Godfather 1, Braveheart, Avengers Endgame, okay? Godfather's 2, and then The Greatest Showman. Mm, come on, man. This is the greatest show. Oh, okay. So I, uh, I can't stand the movie industry when they add another movie just to make money. So Godfather 1 and 2 are my top five because them as standalones are the greatest movies ever made, if you ask me. It's just, it's just a masterpiece. But as time went on, in the 90s, Paramount wanted to make some money. And they're like, we're making Godfather 3. And they gave Francis Ford Coppola, the one who made one and two, said, write a script, direct it, and we need you to make it this fast because we need money now. And so Coppola was rushed to write this movie, Godfather 3. They came to the actors and said, hey, we're making the, uh, not this a one, two, we're going to make it a trilogy. So Al Pacino, will you sign on? Tom Hagen, who plays the conciliary, um, would you sign on? And what happened is that some of the actors, because they're more famous, said, man, if you're going to sign me on, I want more money. I want millions, not a few hundred thousand. So they couldn't get the original cast together, but Paramount wanted to make money, so they made Godfather 3. And I would submit to you that in my mind and in my heart, Godfather 3 does not exist. It is the worst movie. It is atrocious. I mean, like, the, the heart of it, the heartbeat of it, the execution, it is nothing like one or two. The trilogy should have never been made. It was a flop. It was so bad that in 2020, they tried to re-edit it as a new movie and say, we fixed it. No, you didn't. Just burn it, okay? It's a terrible movie. Ty, why are you talking about movies so much? Now, here, here let me bring it back. The Gospels is one of the greatest eras in our life. It's the original, Jesus walking the earth, healing the broken, healing the lame, proclaiming the kingdom of God, people being saved. Oh, it's the original. It is the best story I've ever seen. It's the greatest story ever told. And then here comes the sequel is what Luke is saying. Hey, you heard my first book. Now here comes the second book, the sequel. And it is the church taking the baton of the message of Jesus, the miracles of Jesus, and the mercy of Jesus to Rome. And the sequel is just as good as the original. Now, here's where the church gets in trouble. When they try to make a trilogy. When they say to the sequel, I, I see the book of Acts. And they would preach everywhere. But in the Bay Area, they probably would do it differently now because the Bay Area is more sophisticated. And we just don't talk about Jesus everywhere. And so we rewrite the script a little bit. We say that in the trilogy, we're going to do it a little different now. And what happens when you start to rewrite the script and you add a trilogy to the church, guess what happens? The church dies. It's a flop, just like uh, Godfather 3. And the reality is, is that in Europe, it had a run. And then man started getting their hands on the, the heart and the birth of what Jesus wanted for the church and started adding things to the script, and the church died in Europe. And now America is following. Unless... A church says, not on my watch. I want to show you a picture real quick. Check this picture out real quick. This is crazy. So Rachel and I, we got to go to the Vatican um, for the first time ever go to Europe uh, about four years ago. We went to the Vatican. And you walk around, you see a lot of things. And I know I ask a lot of questions. And I, I, I walked by stuff. I walked by doors like this. I may even walk by this exact door. 
And I found out recently that this door at the Vatican is um, guarded um, literally all the time, 24-7. And it was only opened once every 25 years. And they say that when the door opens every 25 years, if you walk through that door, you are forgiven of all your sins. And I want to just walk up to the guard and just tap him on the shoulder and say, hey, we already have a door. His name is Jesus. He says, I am the door. This is not part of the story. You add it to the script. And the reason why people are walking out of church and walking out of this stuff is because Jesus didn't write religion. He wrote a movement that is the followers of Christ. Stop adding to the story. And if, I, if I'm being honest, I could, I could show pictures of churches in America. I could show pictures of things happening in the church today and saying this was never intended. Can I tell you something real quick? The sequel has not ended yet. The book of Acts, it says it was the beginning of the last days. Can I tell you something real quick? We're still in the last days. So the acts of the apostles, the, the, the heart of the church, it was never supposed to be like, okay, good job, we'll take it from here. No, no, we're supposed to be running like them, praying like them, believing like them. So do you want to do that today, yes? Okay, so we're going to look at three things. So um, I was going to talk about uh, what type uh, of people they reach, and we talked about that a little bit. Um, I think this is an interesting verse. I want you to catch this real quick. As we start believing for the Bay Area to get transformed, um, you need to know, like, it was hard back in Jesus' day, too. We always read it like, oh, my gosh, it was just so easy. Like, just, people just got saved all the time. Let me, let me read you Matthew 28. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus uh, had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some still doubted. Goes on to say, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to you. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Like, literally, Jesus is there. They're like, now nah, you're a ghost. He eats. Can a ghost eat? Touch my hand. And they, some still doubted. The reality is that doubt will be a part of the journey when we reach people, but allow people to at least process it. Give them a chance to say, have you ever processed actually who Jesus is and what he could be in your life? So the three things I want to look at today is how did they do it? How did this group do it? And what kind of group was it? Let me just tell you real quick. This small group that literally changed the world, I mean, small group. Let's give them 100 and change tops, okay? Let's, let's say that number. Nobody knows the exact number, but let's just say that's around that number. It's around that number. Um, they had no economic power. They had no political power. They had no cultural power. They had no military power. Here's what they had. The power of the gospel. And you know what else they had? They were empowered by the Holy Spirit. Literally, when, when Jesus leaves, the reason why Acts 1 is so important, he says, when I leave, then I will send you the Holy Spirit. And the, the Bible talks about the Holy Spirit being a comforter. And so whenever I read that as a young believer, that comforter, oh, I like that. Give me my binky. Give me my blanket. Just hold me close, Holy Spirit. When I break up with girls, hold me close and make me feel better, you know? Like, I remember, like, that's what I picture the Holy Spirit. I remember my first big breakup. I remember putting on boys to men and just asking the Holy Spirit to comfort me. <laughs> Please, Holy Spirit, you're my comforter. Like, like that's how I picture the Holy Spirit. Now, the reality is, is that the Greek word transferred to comforter, it, it, it loses its strength. It loses really its purpose and what's supposed to be life. Another translation would be helper. But the reason why it's comforter in a lot of our translations is because it was translated into Latin in the, around the third century, and that would be com, C-O-M, which would be come alongside, and then the second word would be fortis. So then as we were translating it into English, we did comforter. But the word come alongside, that's accurate. But fortis, literally the word, the second part of uh, comforter, uh, fortis, what it translates is to is brave, strong, strength. So it says that the Holy Spirit would come alongside you, not give you a binky and a bottle and a blanket, but it would come alongside you and make you brave. 
How in the world would disciples go into a nation and not know what to say or what to do and be willing to die for God because they had a certain kind of Holy Spirit? Not the binky Holy Spirit, but the one that made them brave. And so that's what they had. That's all. They had the Holy Spirit that would make them brave and give them boldness to preach, and they had the power of the gospel. It's amazing what we think we need today to change the world. It's amazing what we rejoice in. It's amazing that I, I rejoice when laws pass. I rejoice. But if you rejoice in laws being passed more than when somebody gets saved, you've missed it. If you rejoice more in political movement than when the church is being vibrant, you've missed it. And so there are three things that they did so well that I believe if we do these things well, ooh, watch out, Bay Area. Are you ready for the three? I got 19 minutes. I'm doing a good job. Here we go. I was a little nervous because I preached for a month. I was like, I'm going to be, I'm going to be rusty. I'm going to preach for five hours. Looks like I'm going to be right on time. Okay, real. First thing they did, they were all about the message of Jesus. The message of Jesus. I want to read you Acts 8 real quick. But the believers who are scattered, don't you, do you feel kind of scattered in the Bay Area? Because we're all over the place. Like there's one over here. Very few, there's two over there. You know, like if you like work at a school and you find another teacher that's a Christian, you're like, you too? Remember my wife when she worked at Sony Pictures and she was in the industry, like she met another Christian, like, oh my gosh, I met a Christian today. It's like you found like a treasure that day, you know what I'm saying? I found a million dollars in my office, you know, like, like we are scattered right now. And so it says that they were scattered. So, so you can relate to that. So the believers who are scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. I'm going to touch on that in a second. For example, when they went to the city of Samaria and told the people about the Messiah, goes on to say, here's what happened to that city in Samaria. Acts 8, 8 says, so after they got saved, people were healed. It says, so there was great joy in that city. When a church comes to life and starts preaching the gospel, the city gets better and brighter. They're all about the message. So uh, Rachel and I got to, of course, go uh, to Europe um, um, on our sabbaticals. Very sweet trip. Uh, My dad was born in England, never been to England. Uh, Birmingham, England, my dad was born in. So we went to England for a few days. Uh, Rachel loves travel. I'm a homebody. Who's the homebodies in the house? Okay, who loves to travel? Okay, introduce yourself to my wife. Take her traveling, okay? <laughs> Homebodies, we're going to hang out and golf, okay? Um, so um, we uh, go to um, uh, England, and uh, we have a tour guide for one of the days, and his name's Oliver. And, you know, it's about four or five hours. We're trying to maximize the time because we're only there for a few days. And Oliver, you know, ends up asking us what we do for a living. And it's about an hour in, so Oliver's got to know me a little bit. And um, he goes, what do you do for a living? I go, I'm a pastor. He goes, you're a pastor? Like a vicar? Like they call them vicars in England. I was like, I was like what's a vicar? I don't know. You know? He's like, uh, he goes, you're a pastor? He's like, uh, of a church? He's like, yeah. He goes, like, do people come? You know? <laughs> and, and, and the reason why he said people come, I said, I said yeah. He goes, because he goes, all the churches I go to, they're empty, and we just show them as tours. Wow. I, I tour people through empty, dead buildings and talk about the history of when they were vibrant. He goes, so people actually go to church, like, in the Bay Area? And, and so that's the first question. And so it goes on, and we're together for like four or five hours. And Oliver, for literally this, this time, he would just interject once in a while after he would show us something about, you know, like the Crown Jewels or the Tower of London. We'd be walking, and be like, so Tyler, like, why did you become a pastor? You know, and then he, another question, like, he would ask me about church, like, so what does church look like? You know, so I'd pull up pictures and show him church. And, and so eventually, like, after the seventh question, you know, he goes, so, 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 so why do you, he asked me, he goes, so, so I showed him a picture, and there's a, you know, a bunch of people in the room. He's like, why do you think people come? <laughs> like, that was his big thing. He just couldn't get past it. And so I, I am a finesseful human by nature. I, like, 
Rachel, I've been married 10 years. I'm, I haven't yelled in our marriage. I'm not a yeller. Um, I, um, like, even when I'm, like, talking to people, I'm never trying to, like, be like, hey, do this. Like, I don't yell, you know. Like, um, now if I'm playing, like, basketball or bump or a game board, I do yell. I yell a lot. Um, but when it comes to, like, me talking to Oliver at this moment, I was like, well, and I didn't want to, like, make him feel too uncomfortable. And I was like, oh, okay, so, so like, I mean, will people come because, uh, well, I, and I was like, so I tried to give him a quick answer. I was like, you know, like in Ecclesiastes, I don't even know who knows Ecclesiastes, but it's a book in the Bible, and it says that God plays to turn your hearts, and, and that there's this, there's this desire in our soul that, 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 that we desire something that the world just cannot fill. And so, so I really believe that people desire God. They just don't want to find him. So, so they, I think they come to church, and then they find Jesus. And then I was done. And I was like a solid answer, you know, like, you know, like it's good, not great. You know, I'm a pastor, probably should have been better, to be honest. Um, you know, Colossians make the most of every opportunity. And, um, and then like I was done. And then, and then Oliver, like literally this way he said, he goes, could you bring your ministry to England? And I said, I'll work on it, Oliver. And I was done. Right, we're going to pause real quick right there. I uh, remember leaving our tour and just being so upset with myself telling Rachel and Tom Laura with us, and I said, man, I, I blew it. I, and, and, you know, Tom was Tom's so kind. He's like, I thought what you shared was great, you know? And I was like, I was like it was great. <laughs> but the more and more I thought about it, I got this picture, and if I could just share it with you. Um, I feel like the Bay Area in American general, it's taught us Christians that we're allowed to jab, but we can never throw the hook anymore. And what I mean by that is when I was in L.A., I boxed a little bit, okay? You know what I'm saying? Pop, pop. Okay, anyways, okay. So, so I boxed at Geo's Boxing. And if you know anything about boxing, the jab is just a setup. You can't, you can't knock somebody out. You can't win a fight with a jab. It just kind of protects you, and it sets up the right-hand hook where all the force is behind it, all the power, and you knock out the person. And I started picturing a lot of Christians, including myself, and we've just been fighting with a jab lately. And we just kind of dance around it. And we, we, we tell people the message a little bit. They go, well, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus is nice. Bye. You know, <laughs> I, I go to church and I like Jesus. Okay, see you later. You know, like, I, I don't want to say anything else because I wouldn't want to ruffle their feathers. You know, you know, like, oh, I'm at, the, I'm at a winery, you know. Okay, like, I mean, even me on plane sometimes. What do you do for a living? I'm in sales. I don't even jab. And I'm like. <laughs> the amount of times I have grieved the Lord the last 10 years, I cannot tell you. But this sabbatical for me, I feel like the Lord just unwrapped my right arm. And I said, man, I, want, I may have, what am I doing right now? <laughs> it's like, it's like, settle down hand, okay. Um, like, uh, I will. Hall Winery, Starbucks, Whole Foods, Safeway, wherever I'm at, Lenardi's, it doesn't matter. If somebody asks me, one, if they open up the door a little bit, I'm going to start japping. But I'm not going to be down. I'm going to be like, hey, Oliver, you want to know why they come? Because they want Jesus. And I can sense in my spirit that you want Jesus too. And because I can sense it, I'm going to give you the opportunity right here in the middle of the Tower of London. And I'm going to let you know that whoever shall believe in them shall not perish but have everlasting life. Oliver, you want to pray right now? You want to get saved? And Oliver can say, man, I was just asking questions. Leave me alone. And I'd be like, totally misread the scenario, Oliver. My bad. (laughs) Or just maybe Oliver could have started weeping and saying, I want your God. I want your Jesus. I want that peace. I want that wholeness. 
I wrote down my mission statement for my life. This is my mission statement. I'm on a mission to let the world know that God is good. The world doesn't know he's good. They think he's mean. A church that changes the world lets the world know that he's a good God, that he's a kind God. Can I tell you real quick? A church that judges the world is not going to change the world. A, a church that hates the world is not going to change the world. A church that compromises with the world is not going to change the world. But a church that proclaims the name of Jesus to a broken world will change the world. So the first thing they did, they were all about the message of Jesus. I love this verse in Acts 14, 15. Friends, why are you doing this? We are merely human beings just like you. We have come to bring you the good news that you should turn from these worthless things. And give people an opportunity to actually drink from what you're drinking from. Stop jabbing and just start swinging. And what our swings look like is not hammer with a nail, you better do this or else. Our swings look like radical acts of love, radical acts of generosity, radical proclamations of how good our God is, radical truths that he is the one, the way, the truth, and life. Those are our swings. Start swinging, okay? So, and turn the living God who made heaven and earth, the sea, and everything in them. So that's, they were all about the message Jesus. Miss Church, we're going to be all about the message Jesus? Okay, check one. Okay, you're doing a great job. Okay, second one. Uh, they were about the miracles of Jesus. The miracles of Jesus. Now, uh, in just a second, all the charismatics in the room are going to be high-fiving. Woo! Yeah! Okay? Now, all the ones that are cautious about charismatic stuff and healings and all kinds of stuff, you're going to start going like this, okay? Everybody relax. Let me unpack this, okay? Just breathe, okay? Acts 5 says this. As a result of the apostles' work, sick people were brought out into the streets on beds and mats so that Peter's shadow might fall across some of them as he went by. Crowds came from, um, from the villages around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and all those possessed by evil spirits, and they were all healed. Can I read you my journal entry? I, I read through Acts over and over again on my sabbatical. I just, wanted to, I just wanted to see God's heart in it, so I kept reading it, and I was journaling. Here's what I journaled after I read this. Lord, I have a hard time with this. I've been a Christian for 25 years now, and I've never seen anything like this. Are we that sinful as a church? Is our faith that weak? Or is it that that's not the method you choose in this season? God, I'm surrendered to how you want to build your kingdom. Please show me how to handle this. If you want to heal like this, we will go for it. We will get spotlights out, and we'll have everybody's shadows just hitting people. God, I will do it. Like, whatever. Hey, you're not on the shadow side. I said, get on the shadow side. You know what I'm saying? You know? We'll make sure that you get in the shadow. Like, I, I literally started just chewing that in this. You cannot read the book of Acts and not see God move and heal and miracles. You just, you just can't read it without, it's miracle. Oh, miracle. Oh, miracle. And then somewhere along the way, we decided that's just kind of, we're too sophisticated for miracles. We, we have this, uh, this Bible, and we are, I almost feel like a lot of Christians are walking bobbleheads, big old heads of knowledge, and then their bodies have no strength. And so, um, forgive me, I don't, I'm not saying that's you, I'm saying that's me, okay? Okay. Um, now, let me just read you uh, about Jesus' ministry, the original and the sequel. So this is Jesus and his ministry. Jesus turned water and wine. Jesus heals an official in the Son of Galilee. Uh, his first miraculous catch, he, I mean, literally says, toss the net, thousands of, you know, fish. 
heals lepers, raids a dead man named Lazarus, heals a withered hand on the Sabbath day. Jesus heals the woman in the crowd. Uh, Jesus heals two blind men. Jesus heals the man lowered from the ceiling. Jesus feeds 4,000. Jesus feeds 5,000. Jesus heals the man uh, by spitting his face. All the charismatics said amen. Um, <laughs> Jesus heals a woman uh, who has been crippled for years. And then Jesus heals the severed ear of one of the soldiers. Jesus is getting arrested, and he's still doing miracles. You know, he's like, he's getting arrested. Like, hold on, soldier. Boop, you're welcome. Okay. I mean, this is what Jesus is doing. Can I just tell you something real quick? Miracles was not a peripheral of Jesus' ministry. It was central to his ministry. Miracles was not a side dish of the church. It was central to the church. Something happened. I love what C.S. Lewis says about miracles. C.S. Lewis says, the mind which asks for a non-miraculous Christianity is a mind in process of relapsing from Christianity to mere religion. John Wesley said this about what was happening in England before the Great Awakening. The grand reason why the miraculous gifts were so soon withdrawn was not only that faith and holiness were well uh, nigh lost. That's a weird English word that says that faith and holiness was basically almost gone. Not only were miracles gone, but holiness was gone. Faith was gone. Like all that stuff was just put to the side goes on to say, but that dry, formal, orthodox man began even then to ridicule whatever gifts they had, not themselves, and decry them all as either madness or imposture if they did not have them. I came to this conclusion that my comfort level is not going to determine how God moves. And now, let, let me just unpack some real quick. I got saved in a charismatic church. You're a brand new church. Charismatic church, I mean, I, I got saved in a church that believed that the, the gifts are for today, that, that, that you can be healed today. So I got saved in a charismatic church. So I got exposed to charismatic stuff. I got exposed to charismania, which I did not enjoy. I call it Holy Spirit without a seatbelt. You know, just people just running amok, just doing crazy things without the scripture. You know, like, like the spiritual started being elevated above doctrine. And so I saw that. I mean, I was talking to one of my buddies. He's a pastor in Atlanta, and uh, he got saved uh, in Idaho, and um, he was a little kid. He's older than I am, but it was the Azusa Street Revival, and it finally made it to Idaho, and they would have he their healing services, and the lady who healed, this is backwards Idaho. This is when Jesus charismatic is backwards Idaho. He goes, he goes, the lady who healed, the only way you could get healed was through her feet, so they would, they would literally hold her up and lift her feet up, barefooted, and then the, the, you would have her feet touch your body, and she'd uh, pray for you. So, like, you're getting prayed over your, your headache, just a foot on your face, you know, <laughs> and, and he's just like, man, like, like, this is madness, you know? Like, we're in the Bible to say, I only heal through the foot, you know? Um, and, so, and so he, like, had a, like, just a huge, like, turning away from just the, 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 the miracles of God because what he experienced was just craziness. And I, I have stories like that in my own life, right? I have people trying to give me prophecies over my life to control me and to tell me who I'm supposed to be with and who I'm supposed to marry and where I'm supposed to live. And so I just, for a season, I was just so grossed out by it. I just said, yuck. John Piper, who's a great Bible teacher, you know, I, I don't agree with everything what he says theologically. I mean, I, I think that's the reality of the churches. The reality of churches, you're not going to find a perfect place that thinks perfectly like you. If you're looking for a church that thinks perfectly like you, you are going to be a church hopper for the rest of your days. Yeah. Uh, so John Piper, though, what I, what I love is he was um, sharing a story about uh, prophecy, and um, he's a big guy. If it's in the Word, he's going to believe it to an extent. That's just what he says, and I, I love that about him. But he said the woman came up to him after service and told him a prophecy. He goes, I have a prophecy to share with you. And he said, well, what's the, what's the prophecy? He goes, uh, the woman goes, your, your, your wife is pregnant, and she's going to have a boy, and she's going to die when she has that boy. And John Piper is frustrated and angry from this prophecy. And so he goes home, and he prays, and he's, he goes, God, I'm angry. 
what kind of person tells me my wife's going to die and that it's a boy? Like, what am I supposed to do with this word, God? And of course, she has a baby. It's a girl, and she's alive. And John Piper literally holds to this verse. It says this in 1 Thessalonians 5, 20 through 21. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. You ever wonder why they write that, like, in 50 AD? Do not treat prophecy with contempt? Because crazy people are already hijacking prophecies back then. It's just the reality of it. I don't know what it is. The, 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 the American church today, the way we see miracles is we just don't even know what to do with them. And I mean, I hear on missions trips, you know, when people go on mission trips to Africa and China, they're like, I saw a leg grow back. And I don't know what it is. I don't know. When you go on a mission trip, for some reason, you get on the plane and they're like, welcome aboard. Uh, please uh, fasten your seatbelt, put your tray tail up. Um, also, as you board the plane, we're going to give you these things called the power of God and prayer and faith that he can do great things. Put those in your back pocket. Thank you very much. And on your mission trips, go have a great time changing the world. You get off that plane. You go on your mission trip in Africa. People are getting prayed for. People are being healed. You get back on that plane, and you get welcomed back to America. And it's like, welcome back to America. Please take out the miracles of God and put them back on your tray table. You're going to go through customs. We don't do that here. And welcome back to the American church. Thank you so much. What happened to us? Well, we just don't even swing the bat anymore. They were all about the miracles of Jesus. Now, I'm not going to let the crazies steal the miracles of Jesus from me. I'm not going to let them steal from me. I'm not going to let my crazy experiences shape my theology and go, well, because there's a handful of crazy churches out there and crazy Christians out there that literally elevate this above Scripture, which Jesus actually blows them up. People who chase signs and wonders are an evil generation, but those who chase after Jesus, signs and wonders will follow them. So maybe, just maybe, they should check themselves out of the door. If you're chasing churches because they're having something happening, that's not God's heart, by the way. Anyways, okay, I'll keep going. Blah, blah, blah. Okay, so, um, so I'm not going to let crazy Christians stop me, but you know what else I'm not going to let it stop me? Cranky Christians. Why well, do not believe in miracles? You know? Like, they have to do theological hoops to find a way in Scripture to tell me that miracles are not alive and well today. It's, I mean, literally, it's, it's, it's in the Word of God, and it's how the church changed the world. We're going to believe for miracles. Amen. One of the things we're adding today is we're going to have a prayer team in the back, right? And you pray for anything. You need prayer for peace. You need prayer for health. You need prayer for your son, daughter. Prayer for a miracle. We're going to pray for you, and we're going to believe with you. Amen. And what we're going to do in this church is we're going to believe for miracles. Amen. And let's just see what God does. I love this moment in the Old Testament. I love this about our God. I love that he healed so many different ways because if he only spit and put it in people's eyes, we'd be doing that today. Thank you, Jesus. You didn't do that the only way. But in the Old Testament, there is this region in Israel, no longer called this, but in the Old Testament, it was called Dothan. D-O-T-H-A-N. And Dothan, Elijah is there. And during Elijah's reign in Dothan, God's power is just so evident. Fire from heaven stuff's happening. Elijah... And then Elisha and Jesus are top three in miracles in all the Bible. And so Elijah is just doing crazy, amazing stuff in Dothan. So Dothan, you're like, whoa, this is how God moves. Well, if you read Genesis, there's a man named Joseph who's also in Dothan. And you see no fire from heaven. You see a man who's thrown in prison, betrayed by his brothers, thrown in a pit, who's forgotten. And God elevates him to number two to literally move the chess pieces to save a world and to literally save Israel. And when I read that story of how God wants to work, I literally told the Lord, Lord, if you want to do it like Joseph, if you just want to move chess pieces and you want to move people in the right spots and the right businesses and have your name be proclaimed that way, Lord, you can do it just like you did in Dothan with Joseph. But if you want to do it like Elijah, 
My comfort level does not stop you from doing like Elijah or Joseph. God, you do you. You do you, boo-boo. I mean, one of those things. God, you do you. And I feel like if we could be a church that has that kind of posture, what could happen? Okay? Amen? Amen. All right. Um, Last thing they had was the mercy of Jesus. So they had the message of Jesus. They had the miracles of Jesus. And then they had the mercies of Jesus. Now, you need to know something about the Greco-Romans. Weakness was not their thing. Like literally, I wrote this down. They had no place for mercy or grace. They were trying to create the perfect human. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. Um, they, uh, they're trying to create like a human who had no weakness and no strength. One of their famous Stoics said this, compassion is the vice of the feeble soul. Hmm. But the Christians were the opposite. They were drawn to the broken. They were drawn to weak things. The Bible says that we're salt and light of this earth. Salt, of course, makes things better, but it's also drawn to broken things. Salt was used to make sure things that wouldn't fall apart. You, you put it on meat so it wouldn't decay, that it would actually keep it fresh. And the reality is, is one of the things the church did that Rome didn't do, and why uh, even Rome and historians credit uh, the Christians for holding Rome together in the third century, was because the Christians, instead of running away from those who are sick and who are hurting, they ran straight to them. That's an amazing thing to, you know, talk about the mercy of God and run towards broken things. That when, when they were ministering, they would have a place they wanted to go, but they knew that literally who they were was they were people of mercy. So if they walked by somebody who was broken, they realized, oh God, this is an opportunity. You put this in my way. You put a person who's lame, laying right here. I know I'm going to this church meeting, but this is in my way. And this broken person is an inconvenience. This is actually your ministry. And so they would stop and they would literally minister to the broken. Now, I want to fast forward to a different revival. It's in um, around 1850. It's Northern Ireland. And Northern Ireland had this revival. And one of the craziest things from the revival in Northern Ireland was that prostitution ended. That the prostitutes all got saved. And so you, you study why, why did prostitution end in Northern Ireland and why did they all get saved? Was it because they passed the law saying that you're not allowed to sleep with prostitutes anymore? So the law, like, oh, law passed. I won't do it anymore. We've already seen that when laws get passed, it doesn't change hearts. It doesn't change people. People are going to find a way to do what they want to do. And so prostitution didn't because the law was uh, changed. And, and again, like sometimes we look at the world like, you know what? We just need to have a transformation to go back to good values again in America. Was, was, was that what happened in Northern Ireland? You know what? We just need good values in Northern Ireland. We need family values, watching the family shows, and no prostitution. Did that, is that what changed it? No. Did they protest the prostitutes? And the prostitute, you know, your, prostitute, your protest was so convincing, I don't want to be a, pro- a prostitute anymore. You studied the revival in Northern Ireland, and here's what happened. The church started talking to the prostitutes, sharing the goodness of God with the prostitutes, and a prostitute got saved, and then another prostitute got saved, and another prostitute got saved, to where they all got saved, and prostitution was no more. Now, I'm not against a good protest. And what I mean by that is protests have a place in the sense of they sometimes bring awareness to things that people don't know about. But the thing I'm not a big fan of with protest is protests have this vibe of, I'm going to go, go be with the people that I think are right, because I'm right, we're the good ones, and everybody else is the bad ones, and we're going to protest bad, and we're going to elevate good. And so protests create this dynamic at times of like me versus you, and if you get changed to think like me and become good like me, then everything's fine. The problem with protests 
is that you're screaming at people and you're not ministering to people. I'm not saying if you go to a walk or a thing, those are good, those bring awareness. But I'm saying if you wanna change the world, you better start talking to the ones you're walking for. You better start talking to the ones that you're walking against. You better start loving the ones that think different than you. And maybe, just maybe, if you bring the mercy in God and the grace of God to people, whoo, what could this region look like? And have patience with people. Be kind to people. I mean, you've heard it said, hurting people hurt people. It's real. The ones that are most hurting, man, they just hurt people. I'm going to finish with this simple thing. I'm going to finish my message, and I think in the room today, I got a couple, I don't know, man. Like one of them I thought I wrote down was, all right, Tyler, I don't know, man. Like you think that just the message of Jesus could change the whole world? I, I'm, I'm more in the politics spectrum or economics or culture or military power, but you think the power of the gospel could change the world? I would submit to you to at least process maybe the message of God could change the world. Some of you here today like, I don't know, man. Miracles for today? I don't know. I don't know. I got to process that. Man, if they're on mercy, I got to be more merciful today. Well, people walk all over me. Mercy is not people walking all over you. It, mercy is you actually going to people who have been walked all over and loving on them. Now, now there's this moment in Mark 9, and we'll be done. The disciples are praying, and there's no miracles happening. And Jesus says, you're a faithless generation. And here's what happens. Jesus asked the boy father, how long has your boy been like this? From childhood, he answered. It often uh, has thrown him into the fire and water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus says, if you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. And the father, the father exclaimed this. He goes, I do believe, but help me overcome my belief. And I think the prayer today in our house today is I think a lot of us say, I do believe, but will you help me overcome my belief? I believe in the gospel message, but can you really help me with my unbelief of it that I would actually believe that it is the right hand hook that could change the world? I do believe that miracles could happen today, but for some reason I have this hesitancy. Can, can you pray for my unbelief that I could really believe in miracles today? I do believe that if we actually got kinder and softer, that it would change the hatred of the world. But would you really help me my unbelief with that today? Would you bow your heads? So God, first thing I want to do is I just want to pray that in the house today, God, would you help our unbelief? Would you increase our faith in the power of the gospel? I love what Paul says in Romans, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Oh, for it is the power of the gospel that is in work within me. God, I pray that we would believe in the power of your gospel. God, I pray that you would help our unbelief with miracles. God, I pray that you would help our unbelief with just the mercy of who you are. God, would we be more merciful in this next season? With every head bowed, eye closed. I know you said yes to heaven, no to hell. Never said, you know, if you ever said yes to salvation, yes to uh, saying the sinner's prayer, which literally just means you want to say yes uh, to heaven, no to hell, yes to blessing, no to cursing. Salvation is an amazing thing. I remember saying yes to Jesus. It changed my life. And the Bible shows very clearly that if you want to respond to that, all you have to do is raise your hand and catch my, uh, catch my eye. We're going to pray for you. It says if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, you'll be saved. So on the count of three, if you want to say yes to Jesus, some of you today, man, I want to say yes to this God. I want to say yes to the God that gives peace. Yes to the God that restores. Yes to the God that is good. If that's you with every head bowed and eye closed, you want to say yes to heaven, no to hell. On the count of three, raise your hand. One, two, three. Raise it up, raise it up. I see you, and I see you, and I see you. Hands all over. I see you. Come on now. I see you in the back. I see you in the back. I see you in the very back. Come on now. I see you on the left side. Oh, we love you, Jesus. We love you. Will you stand up? We're going to pray. Well, I did go long. Seven minutes. Sorry, not sorry. Okay. Will you pray with me? 
Jesus. Oh, this is an everybody prayer. People just got saved. If you just got saved, this is for you. This is the, this is the, this is the salvation prayer, and we're going to pray with, it, with, with you as a family. Repeat after me. Jesus, come into my life today. I declare you are my Savior. I'm a sinner, and now I'm a saved. I say yes to being your son, to being your daughter. God, today, I say hello to my blessings and goodbye to my cursing. And everybody said? Thanks again for listening to the Mission Church Podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. If you're in the Bay Area, we invite you to come join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at missionchurchca.com. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon.